Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Steve Thompson, uh, who is the founder of Forward Roll. Steve initially started out his career in the world of marketing before deciding to start his recruitment career in 2003, and then later starting his very own recruitment business in 2008. For the last 13 years, he's been completely dedicated to building Forward Roll, who are an award-winning marketing, digital, and technology recruitment business. It all started from Steve's bedroom in Bolton, um, and now they have offices in Manchester and London. They're 30 plus people strong. And along the way, they've had some incredible achievements from supporting some of the best brands across the UK in scaling their marketing teams like brands like AO.com, Boohoo, and Misguided. Steve, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. I'm excited to unpack this story of like, yeah, starting in a bedroom in Bolton to sort of where you are now. So where we always like to start is sort of, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Say those, you know, it's probably, um, my opinion on that's probably changed over time, actually, I think. So I think in the early days, I, I very much wanted to recruit in my own image, um, which was, People had gone down a university type route, you know, had, I, I was kind of a bit obsessive about what A-levels people had. I wanted to see kind of a real kind of um, uh, raw intelligence there because I, mm. I just figured, you know, if someone's bright, they can learn anything. Um, I guess as I've been less inwardly focused, um, which we could perhaps talk about later as I've, uh, you know, started to join recruitment networks, I've met people from all different, you know, all different types of people from mm. successful recruitment businesses. Um, and, it, and it's probably made me realize that that kind of, whilst intelligence is important, I think um, kind of work rate, desire, emotional intelligence um, are, are, are just as important, if not more mm. so. How, um, how have you learned to get good at looking for emotional intelligence in people out of interest when hiring? <sighs> That's a tough one. You know, there's a question that, that I ask, which... Um, I probably won't share because I think uh, it's a bit controversial. Actually, I put it in a recruitment network group recently, and they were like, "You can't ask that." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually about people's parents. I just want to see the way that they speak about them, you know, and the way that they, um, whether they have a good or bad relationship with their parents. You know, I want to I, I want to see kind of how they how they talk about that and how they frame it. And why are you um, interested? In, why are you interested in that? Why am I interested in their parents? I think it's a great way to understand um, where someone's come from. Um, mm. It's a great way to see uh, how much they understand about themselves. Because I, I frame the question in terms of, I'll tell you the question now, I might yeah. as well. Yeah, let's, yeah <laughs> um, sure, let's do it. I think I asked the, the way I phrase the question is, um, um, what are the best bits that you um, take from from your parents? Um, I don't and, think that's... Um, a- I've, I've, I quite like no, I, I find that question quite interesting. Yeah, and I like it, but I guess, you know, um, I I think I stole it off, off AO.com, actually. I think that CFO used to ask the same question, and I think he had a, a really awkward, really terrible, terrible incident once where someone started crying because they'd just lost a pair. Oh, you know, so yeah, it, can, it can be, um, you know, it can be a difficult one, but I, I think it's, it's worth the gamble because I, I like understanding what how, how people um frame their 
their view of themselves and their traits and their positive traits and some of their negative traits and how they've kind of learned that uh, or taken that from their parents. Yeah, well, what what you're uncovering there is self-awareness. Yeah, I, yeah. I completely get it. Like, if you were to ask me yeah. that, straight away, I'd be thinking... I, I definitely got work ethic from my dad. He immigrated to this country and he just worked his absolute socks off. And I've definitely sort of learned that. Mum is probably the most caring person I've ever met in my life, would do anything for me. So I'd definitely tr- travel that like with me. And then there's definitely then other things that you could go into. Like I totally get it. I think, I think that's a really interesting, like for you to be able to recognize and understand that you would have done a bit of self searching or understanding and that's good because yeah, if you know where you're good or what you're not good at, then there's, you know, that someone's done that work already. And yeah, I, I get that. That's really interesting. See, so I thought that was a lovely way that you talked about your parents, you know, so like, oh, this guy's like clearly emotionally intelligent. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I but, good, yeah, so I complete, yeah. Yeah. I completely get it. Completely get it. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously there's a, there's a lot that's gone on in this journey, right? And I'm sure it just feels like a, a big blur to you now right so obviously started in marketing which is something that you sort of held really sort of with pride when then supporting the the marketing industry when you went into recruitment Mm -hmm. so before you started forward role let's just start there very quickly obviously started in marketing then went into recruitment how did that happen (laughs) yeah so I, i had a couple of jobs with a with a master's degree in between actually so i worked for the cooperative bank which was a lovely business to work for at the time, the days where they had a fantastic ethical policy, mm. um, which is something that I'm really, you know, kind of still massively into. And, and, and I'll talk to you later about a startup, a recruitment startup that I got, that um, that I founded in um, in lockdown, which has yeah. that kind of angle to it. Um, and also worked for the very group, which is the old shop direct group um, in marketing um, with a, you know, as I say, a master's in between. So um, I think, I went away traveling, actually, was how I kind of fell into recruitment and spent way too much money. I had an absolute blast traveling the world in Australia, and I came back and I started to interview um, with recruitment consultants for um, marketing jobs. And right. I think they saw in front of them this kind of tanned, slightly cocky, arrogant guy, <laughs> um, you know, who kind of just spent 12 months drinking and um, and doing whatever you do when you're traveling around the world. And um, I thought, oh, you might make a good recruitment consultant. So I think I interviewed with Michael Page, um, XLI, like a business called Creative Resource in Stockport might even have been one of them. So I had two or three interviews um, because basically when they told me about the economics of recruitment, I was like, where do I sign? I'm in, you know, yeah. you just need to send a few CVs and, you know, you get thousands of pounds in your pay <laughs> Easy. You know, like, where do I sign? Obviously, I assumed that it was um, it was a lot tougher and there's a lot more to it than that. Um but my 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 old man, my dad was a, um, a sales and marketing director, so I didn't really have the kind of same snobbery that I think some marketers have towards mm. sales. And so I was like, yeah, you know, let, let's give it a go. And I've never really looked back. Yeah. I think one of the um, I think one of the big advantages I had at the time was that I'd worked for in Shop Direct and Co-op, who were both two of Manchester's biggest marketing employers at the time. I just had this ready-made network, and I was I was pretty horrible at sales, I think, to begin with, because I got no training by. From, from the business that I, I chose to join, which was XLI, um, I, I actually learned the ropes from sitting next to a guy who was an unbelievable recruiter. You know, still to this day, I don't think I've ever met a better recruiter than this guy, Mittal Moldy, who was the uh, he was the divisional head, head of marketing at the time. You know, he taught me both kind of um, the, you know, I guess the the dark arts of recruitment as well as uh, as well as kind of uh, the you know just just how to 
how to, to structure a recruitment desk and, and how, how to be a great mm. recruiter. He, he was really, really exceptional. Um, but he moved on and went to, uh, he moved on and went to the Emirates uh, to, to recruit. And uh, I picked up the gig of being the divisional manager at XLI. And um, it was at that point I thought, you know, I, most of these clients are coming here to, for me, you know, yeah. they want to deal with me. Um, I was still obsessive in those days because of my marketing background about service you know, um, and doing things the right way. Um, and my values were probably not wholly aligned um, with the business that I was working for. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agreed with those guys that um, that I that I wanted to leave. I was the top biller at the time. They were slightly, they were struggling. They'd made a few bad decisions. Um, and um, they had to let me do an earn out um, and, um, and take them, you know, take the marketing book with me, basically. So it's a really fortunate way to oh, start wow. my own business. Okay. So let's, like, so, right, so there's two things I just want to talk to you about, and then we'll dig into forward role. Have to ask you about the guy that you learned a lot from. What did you say his name was, sorry? Mittel. Mittel Molded. Mittel, yeah. So, right, so I have to ask you, like, to give me, like, free, let's give free, like, let's think about free, like, free main things or free, like, things that you, like, really learned from this guy that you think had had a really positive impact that you maybe you even still use today to know just three maybe practical things that has really stuck with you that you learned from this guy that's a good question um i think the first one was was just kind of gravitas you know the way the way that he spoke to um to candidates at any level or clients at any level it was almost like they were looking to be <laughs> you know speaking to him you know yeah. um and um you know, it used to amaze me that as you know, as a ner- as a slightly nervous kind of recruiter picking up the phone to people in the early twenties, I was like, I just love the way he talks to people. You know, he just held, you know, held you know, such gravitas. Um, and um, so that was the first thing. Second was that he, for a recruiter, he really kind of understood his subject matter. You know, he 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 was, you know, he was he was a as much as an expert in marketing as a lot of the people he was interviewing, you know, because I think that's one of the the joys of doing recruitment properly are interviewing all these people and you're, and you're interviewing top people all the time and they're talking to you about the projects they work on, they're talking about what worked. And, you know, you, you almost develop more knowledge than some of these candidates themselves who've only been in one business and seen one type of business model. So um, he was really, really credible um, from, from that perspective too. And the other thing was, I think he just had a bit of, uh, you know, he, he was a, he was a bit cheeky with it. You know, he, he didn't mind up picking up the phone and asking someone to to help him out. You know, can you get me into, you know, into into your business? Um, and um, I think you've got to have a bit of that in sales. You know, just mm. he, he was a natural relationship builder. Just kind of um, people very likable. People, you know, people um, wanted to work with him, and um, and he and he didn't mind being a little bit cheeky, a little bit naughty yeah, to, to get into that. places. I think the things that you come up for me when you're talking about that, he's clearly someone that was like memorable, someone that, yeah, you wanted to speak to or you sort of the incredible. And like you said, yeah, the the ex, like, was it, was it just because, was he like really committed to like really understanding everything about his market out of interest? Or was it just because he'd been doing it for a while, speak to loads of people? Or did you see him proactively always trying to be learning about, the ins and outs of what's going on in the marketing world, these types of things, or was it just because he was having all these types of conversations that you think? Yeah, no, I think really it was probably before the days. Sorry, I, th- I think it was probably before the days when 
you know, um, you know, running events was quite as popular. And, um, yeah. you know, I think it, it was more just that he was an incredibly bright guy, you know, and he was yeah, an absolutely, an absolute machine in terms of the number of people that he was meeting and, and interviewing, you know, he, he did, they did, he did the job properly. You know, he, he interviewed people face to face for an hour and took, you know, notes, you know, asked them about the biggest achievements, you know, drill, really drilled into, um, yeah what made them great yeah so I've got another question for you then just on this really quickly so it's really i really find that gravitas piece really interesting because recently been recording like a specific episode series with people that are like really early on in their recruitment career and one of the common challenges that i've uncovered that i definitely had to work through and you may see this now in your business is also i don't want to like label it but like the the main thing that i think we could call it from what people shared is imposter syndrome where at yep. the beginning, like like the guy that you're talking about, actually the other side of that is uh, people early on actually are speaking to, I don't know, yeah, high people in business, MDs, decision makers, hiring managers, and sort of feel like inferior or feel like, oh, like am I in the right position to be talking to these people? Like that seems like a really common thing. I recorded one today where a guy pretty much said like, literally two months ago I was in the library I was a graduate and then two months later I was speaking to MDs about these business conversations and like I was like really like nervous about that and think oh how have I got here do you know what I mean so I guess my question is like can you train that can you train that gravitas can you train that sort of I guess sort of inner self-belief of like no because I feel like you get that in confidence and sometimes you can get that in time I definitely felt like that. It's like, no, like when you have that mindset shift of like this, like me calling this person, this person, like they are, they are in a great position to be speaking to because I'm the best person they, sh- they could be speaking to in their industry. Do you get what I mean? From a recruitment perspective, like, do you think that's something that can be trained or learned? I think it can, but I think it, it also comes from um, your upbringing and you, your, yeah. your schooling. Um, it's, you know, I think people have gone to like that, private type school where you you are the best you know and that kind yeah. of you just kind of get that natural almost a bit of arrogance and i think that's that really helps i think it you know in terms of the class that, that you've grown up in uh, uh, you know um i think i was reading a book recently outliers where he talks about you know people with really high iqs and he tracks their performance over time and it's the people who've got kind of from an upper class background who outperform the people with a lower class background and he puts that down to just parents who would encourage them to, you know, if you went to, when, if you went to the doctor, ask them, you know, tell them what's wrong with you, ask them, you know, mm. if, you, if you can have this course of treatment, you know, and, and it's just by seeing people um, interact in that way as a child yeah. um, versus perhaps someone who's, you know, has got imposter syndrome. Um, it's not purely a class thing, obviously. Yeah, but, no, you know, no, it, I get, it, I get it, what you it mean. Comes, yeah, and, and I think... Um, so I think there is, you know, people definitely get to, to um, you know, kind of graduate age and, and they've got either got a bit of that or they haven't. Um, I think I had a bit of that, but actually, I, you know, I, I had the same struggles um, early in recruitment. I was like, well, you want me to pick the phone up to a marketing director? What, what have I got to say to them? You know, well, actually, well, you, you, know, you don't need to necessarily talk to them about the internet of their job. You're just trying to help them find the best talent for their business. And, and I think it's just coaching that yeah, in, yeah. Into, into staff there. They're experts in in their market. You know, they don't have to be um, an expert marketeer. They just have to be an expert at finding marketing yeah. talent. And that's the that's the that's the like realization. I've seen that show up when 
like more junior recruiters when I'm trying to encourage them to like post more content on LinkedIn. Like that's what they're really concerned about. Like looking stupid, saying the wrong thing. I think it's just making them realize, like you said, that look, you're never going to be as competent as these, as these people. Like you don't get paid to do what they do. It's, it's the insight that you have to bring from speaking to countless of those types of people. It's the talent and all those types of things that you are, you are an expert in. So Cool. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you then before we go into you starting your business was, which I found interesting. I think, I don't think I've heard this before when we've spoken about this is, is that earnout piece? If you're able to share some things like that, I've never really heard anything about that. Like, how, yeah, did, yeah, that, of course. how did that, how did that work? Like, did, so they basically, you had an agreement where, yeah, look, I'm sorry that you're leaving, but you can go, if you do this, then I don't know, what was the agreement out of interest? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. This week, I have another Sourcebreaker story for you. So listen to how Sourcebreaker has helped this consultant do deals. I had worked the tenancy manager vacancy twice over with no results, having gone through numerous first and second stage interviews. I was running out of candidates as the location was quite remote and I had exhausted the talent pool in the area. After having some great training with Jamie, great work, Jamie, I set up a source bot on the vacancy. The following day, the source bot picked up a perfect candidate who lives around the corner. Within a week, I secured her the role. After having the vacancy for two months, the candidate was absolutely thrilled as she had been searching for a role for six months. She was a single mother and needed a position to support her family. She was so grateful to find her dream job and the client felt it was a perfect fit. Thanks to Sourcebreaker, I have a very happy client and an even happy candidate. If any of you have not looked at or research the Sourcebreaker tool yet, please go and check it out. You will not regret it. You listen to this podcast, you even get an exclusive saving. There's so many of these stories that I could read to you, but this tool is one of those game-changing tools that you just have to look at and consider to be part of your tech stack, part of the tools that you have to be successful. Use the link in the show notes to get your exclusive savings and enjoy the rest of the episode. It was a bit of an ultimatum, actually, from from me to them. You know, they, they the business had opened a new office in Reading. It was kind of, um, it was at the whim of uh, one of the directors who um, who wanted to have, have a life in the country. You know, down in uh. um, in Cheltenham. You know, so um, and it, it put amazing strain on the business because it wasn't a successful office. You know, and um, every every month we could see our. Uh, you know our divisions um, being really successful, and this division kind of just sucking the cash out of the um, out of the business. So the business was struggling for, from a performance perspective, um, and rather than make redundant, you know, the areas of the business um, which were underperforming, they started to you know they started to make uh, people redundant from some of the teams that were because you know ultimately it was their choice. Um, they wanted this office in Reading to be successful because it was part of their lifestyle plan. Um, so they made a few of my team redundant and I was furious about it. Um, it mm. felt very, I felt very unfair and I made the decision that I wanted to leave. But um, I guess rather than um, just say, look, I'm leaving, <clears throat> I had this 
I had this um, idea in my mind that I wanted to set up on my own, and I thought the right thing would to be to be would be to be show a bit of loyalty to them and say, "Look, I want to leave. You know, I don't believe in the stuff that you've done. Um, why don't we come to an arrangement where you let me kind of, uh, you know, leave after a certain period of time? Because I knew they needed my revenue in the business. I didn't want to just walk mm. away and just kind of uh, and leave them high and dry. So we came to an arrangement where they said, "Well, if you hit these numbers over the next twelve months." Um, we'll let you walk away from the business. I think they appreciated actually that I was just kind of yeah. um, showed them that little bit of loyalty, and, and I didn't want to just walk away and, um, and watch the business fail. I think as it happened, it probably I think it failed about six to twelve months later anyway. Um, but by that time, you know, um, I'd, I'd had my name ready forward roll, which, which <laughs> uh, for for a few months previous, um, and uh, I was away. I love that. So obviously a huge advantage there was that straight away you could start speaking to the clients that you've been working with, right? Uh, yeah. So I had no problems with uh, yeah, exactly. you know, restricted covenants. So obviously the advantage of that was that you obviously didn't have to deal with any non-competes, which is obviously a huge positive to leave in that way. Yeah, no, and that was that was a, a massive kind of advantage that I had starting. I kind of was I had, you know, left with the blessing of, of mm. the business I've previously worked with, which is pretty unusual. Um, you know, that was, that was great, but actually it was right at the beginning of the credit crunch. You know, what, what actually happened was, um, you know, I was about 10, 11 months into my earnout, well on target. Um, and then the credit crunch happened. So oh. the funny thing is, is that I had to go to them and say, look, I'm, I don't think I'm going to hit my 11, 12 month target. Um, in fact, I don't think I'm going to do very much revenue at all because my pipeline literally went from this to, you know, this. A lot of my clients in those days were, you know, um, uh, home shopping businesses that were, you know, had a kind of you know, credit element to them and financial services businesses. And, uh, and overnight, everything was pulled. You know, it was like a a bit of a uh, economic meltdown, as, as I'm sure you know. So um, I think that scared them so much that a week later they made me redundant and gave me a payout so you know it couldn't have gone any better really you know they they, they you know they gave me a few grand to to add to my coffers to start up and then and then off i went so it was a bit of a, nice. a strange ending yeah yeah so excited to uh dig into this then for the remainder of this but just just really quickly, I, I hope you don't mind me asking you this, but it's just in my mind, so I'm going to ask it, okay? So, like, just let me know. So, basically, uh, so I'm just interested, because you went through that journey, right? What I'm interested to just get your thoughts on is, do, like, if you think, I'm sure you've had had st heard stories now where you've had a recruit in your, either in your business or in someone else's business, and then they've left to start their own business, right? Do you feel like that always has to be like um, be left on like bad terms, or you or like that business have to really make it difficult for that person who's starting out on their own? I'm, I'm just interested because I, I always speak to the, quite a lot of young founders, right, who mm. have, were top billers, left to start their own business, and I, I get both sides. Like obviously, Steve, the founder, has to protect his own business, right? You have to do that first and foremost, right? But like. I'm just interested to hear like you now, haven't you gone, even though it's ages ago, you went through that, you showed honesty, transparency, like, look, this is what I want to do. Can we come to agreement? Like, do you feel like it's just commonplace where if someone was to set up their own recruitment business, competitive to yours, like you would just make, like it's normal for people just to make it difficult for them. 
sending letters through like we're gonna like we're gonna take you to court if you do this blah 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 i don't know i just i hope you don't mind me asking that not asking for like no, any stories it's a good, it's a good that, question because because you know for, for for all recruitment owners they, they were all probably most i think the majority were probably employed somewhere else before they started up so it'd be pretty hypocritical to say how dare they how dare they yeah. do that you know um i guess um but you've got to protect your your business yeah. you know you, you you've got to enforce it and be seen to enforce the covenants because otherwise you know it's it's you know it's open house for for anyone to leave and think oh they're not going to do anything we, we we'll just you know take all that you know all their clients um i think the key is obviously it's, it's just never been in that position you know we work incredibly hard creating a culture and an environment and a you know and a pay scale and a, and a bonus um that keeps people happy and and yeah. um I think it's really difficult now to set up on your own. Actually, I think it's, mm. I think it's really, really tough. I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do it. It's an incredibly lonely journey, particularly in the early days, um, and you know, trying to do every, everything under the sun. You know, from HR, finance, yeah, um, you know, uh, to you know, as well as the day job. Oh my god, I can't, I can't tell you how difficult that was in the early days because I. I started off on my own, so you know, and obviously a lot of people do it as a two or a three or sometimes mm. a four or a five, um, and yeah, it's um, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I'd, yeah, I was just interested to hear your thoughts on that because because of, of the journey that you went on, um, and like, yeah, so so let's let's talk about this then. So obviously, so then obviously started forward roll from your bedroom in Bolton. So like just really quickly, like how long was it like you were just saying there, like how long did it end up being like just yourself? Was it the whole first year, first two years? Just a bit of context on there, like the early yeah, days. Yeah, no. So I actually I actually chose as my first office was my um my childhood bedroom at my parents' house. I thought, <laughs> one, I need to I need to go to work. So I need to leave my um my my kind of shared house with my mates and go somewhere oh, so you leave you left your flat share to go back to your parents to your old bedroom which was your office yes correct and then went <laughs> to my flat share <laughs> in the evening <laughs> yeah so and even funnier is um i had a resourcer um sam um who uh had a key to my mum and dad's house wow. uh, to just let herself in the mug so when, when did he join hey, Barbara. <laughs> when, when did he join no, it was, a, it was a she. Sam, Sam oh, sorry, joined. Sorry. She, she joined with me. Actually, she came. She came with me. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, we'd be sat there with my mum and dad's cat on our knee as we were talking to like <laughs> marketing directors. We'd have the odd kind of break and watch eggheads, you know, just to break up the day and stuff like that. You know, so I'd have to, I had to have a light on top of my um, on top of my PC, um, to, so my mum knew that I was on the phone. So in mid conversation, sometimes she'd just walk in and go, "Would you like a cup of tea?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all good fun we did about six months there and um you know we started to you know make some make some real traction uh, gain some real traction and i got to a point where um it was a friend who actually in in town from going out you know drinking in bolton who was a guy who was on the doors a guy called mark hargreaves who, who owned a recruitment business called people pod um and he actually said what are you doing like working from a bedroom <laughs> we've got space in our office why don't you come and do an office share with us and that was really good actually it was really good of him and um and it, and it worked really well because you know, i yeah. think you need to be in a 
in a, in, a, in a sales environment in those early days. You need to, be able that. to hear other people on the phone yeah, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you said, obviously, as you're describing, as you left, like financial crisis hit, obviously didn't quite hit your target. So like you said that you built up traction from your bedroom, but like how, how long did it take you to do your first deal? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincere, the ultimate recruitment operating system. They're more than just a recruitment CRM. They are the operating system to support your front, middle, and back office. I'm here this week just to tell you that Vincere continue to grow. They're continuing to innovate. And that means there's plenty of internal opportunities. There's been loads of successful stories within this business from recruiters turned tech sales professionals turned customer success managers, but they've taken a lot of successful recruitment professionals into their business and given them great career progression opportunities. So just want to let you know that they're hiring. And I spoke to one of their great stories within the business, Matt, within their customer success division, who has recorded a really short snippet on why he loves working for Vincere. So have a listen. If you're interested, check out the show notes and there's a link there to Vincere Careers and you can check out all of their live vacancies. So the main reason I like working at Vincere is, I mean, there's quite a few, but I think the main one is, it's just progression. You know, we are such an agile company and we're going through this, you know, hyper growth um, phase of, of growth. And the opportunity is unbelievable. You know, you, the opportunity to do anything you want. If you're good at your job and you can prove that, you know, your talent will be fast-tracked and you'll move up the chain, you'll move into a management and leadership role really, really quickly and you'll see your ideas come to life. You know, there's no, there's not many layers. Um, everyone's got an open say. There's no egos as a big part of our strategy. And if you've got good ideas and you're willing to prove them and put them in practice, you'll see those ideas in our process, in our platform, in months, not years. Um, so it's a really just refreshing, it's just really refreshing to be part of a company that, you know, respect that and, and fast track that talent. So that's probably one of the main ones. Um, I would say, you know, it's not just Vincere's, you know, working at Vincere's not just a job. You know, it's not some somewhere where you come, you work nine till five, that's it, you leave, you take your money. It's a career. You know, it's whatever you put in this company is what you get out. And it kind of links back to the progression and the growth. It really is a career. It's a long-term career. Um, so if you're hungry for a challenge, you want to change, you're bored of the same day-to-day, -day, you know, Vincere is, is where you want to be, particularly where we are now in our growth stage. It's a really, really exciting time to join um, to join the you know the global global company. Um, I think it was towards the end of month two. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, there may have been a few things carried over. You know, I may have exaggerated exaggerated slightly. <laughs> you know, around just how dead my pipeline was. Um, no, but you know, there was there was always going to be stuff that kind of kind of carried yeah, over. Yeah, from, of course. From, from the other, from, from the other business. Was was um, was the strategy literally like right? Was did you did you like the typical sort of thing that you hear is like I learned all the things that the way that I do want to do it and the way that I don't want to do it. So now I start my own recruitment business. This is the way that I do want to do it. But um, did you did you have any of that? Did you have any of that? Like I don't know what was the strategy. Did you have ever think like right? This is what I've taken from this business and this is how I want to do forward role or how I want to do it differently out of interest. Yeah. So so actually I. 
I guess I'd experienced marketing recruitment as a candidate. Yeah. Um, and I'd also experienced marketing recruitment working for a small boutique agency. And there were a lot of things about that that, that agency did incredibly well. Um, you know, they they treated us to amazing incentive trips. They were very generous in lots of ways, but I think it was quite a political environment. And there was a lot of negatives about it that I didn't want in my business at all. You know, I, mm. I wanted a very different culture. Um also from being a, a candidate and, and, and seeing the way that some of my competitors were at the time. It was it was it was in the days where uh recruitment was transitioning from kind of press to online. You know, so when I first started in that recruitment journey, it was um, you know, how many pages you've got in Marketing Week or in Marketing Magazine. Um, but then you know, online job boards came came along and completely transformed and kind of democratized recruitment, which was which was great. So it was a great time to, to set up. But I think my experience of some of those um, some of those traditional recruiters, the likes of Michael Page and Hudson, mm. they pretty you know, Michael Page owned the marketing market in the Northwest at the time. It was a bit like the old BT monopoly. You know, it's like mm. you, you had to use them, but everyone complained about Every, how yeah, shit yeah, they yeah. were. I hate that. I hate you know, that. Um, yeah, and um, because you know they just had the biggest database, you know, and the biggest reach and the biggest team. So if you weren't registered with them. You you couldn't access the best opportunities, but online came along and, and changed that. You know, so I think I set up at just the right time, and, and I set up a, you know, the brand was all it was magenta from day one. You know, which was a kind of to a counterpoint to the Michael Page and Hudson and Hayes of this year, which was all mm. royal blue, navy yeah. blue pictures of people in pinstripe pinstripe suits shaking hands. You know, on yeah. websites and all that kind of crap. You know, I just thought, well, I want to create a brand that kind of really talks to marketeers, you know, um, in a way that they'd like to be talked to that kind of resonates with them. So that's how Forward Roll was born. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, great, great insight there. So let's just fast forward this a bit because I know where a lot of people would be really interested to learn from your journey was when you went from that like sort of four or five headcount mark to like 10, 15, 20 and now sort of where you are now because I get Mm -hmm. a lot of messages from recruitment business owners who, as I'm sure you've become more and more aware if you've been networking with other business owners that obviously a lot of the recruitment industry there, the typical recruitment business is under like 10 heads or 15 heads. A lot of them sit around there. So a lot of people interested in like, how do you get past those figures and, and headcount numbers? So I know like a, we can jump straight to it, but I know um, a really critical hire for you was Brian. And that was like eight or so years ago, right? And I know you said you was about four, like obviously you went into that shared office space, then you got to like four or five people, and then mm. obviously you ended up meeting Brian. So why could you just talk to us a bit about, I guess, why that why looking back now that's ended up being like such a pivotal moment and maybe sort of what what you felt or saw in that person that got yeah, you of so course. excited. So there's a few things that kind of aligned around that time. You know, I've been very kind of inward focused, focused and just focused on me um, yeah. up and up, you know, in the early days of, 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 of the business. And I went to an event at um, the NEC around, uh, it was a recruitment expo. I can't remember who, who yeah. the name of it or who ran it. But I heard a guy called Peter Gerrard talk about scaling recruitment businesses. And he said one simple thing which really resonated with me, which would, would you rather own 100% of a 1 million pound business or 51% of a 10 million pound business. And I was like, it's so simple. (laughs) But that is, you know, how I scale my business. I was really kind of struggling with how I, you know, a little business in Bolton was going to kind of hire 
um, staff and get you know and the quality of staff to get me to where I needed to be. I was already starting to feel a bit exhausted with you know doing all the different elements that you need to do running a business, and I thought I need help and I need someone good. It, so it just happened to happen that guy who was my kind of first consultant hire who came from Michael Page managed to find someone who wasn't kind of as bought into uh, their kind of uh, <laughs> culture as. Uh, um, and so he and he he'd worked for Brian. And he just happened to mention, I've got this guy who used to manage me at Michael Page. I think he's brilliant. And I've heard he's looking. So when I, I said, I want to meet him, you know, like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Get, get me a meeting with him. And um, I think when I met Brian, he had two or three offers elsewhere. You know, um, a lot of them were much bigger businesses than me. They were kind of PE backed, you know. Um, but um, I knew within five minutes meeting him, I just thought, I want this guy to run my business you know um what, what, what was future. it that made you think that just like if you could break it down to maybe characteristics or things that he did just because i feel like if people listening to this are going you know what actually i never thought of actually growing my recruitment business that way i don't need to be so focused on me having it all when yeah like you said we could grow the business to be bigger and share it with more people and i'd actually be better off anyway so like what, I don't know, what was it that really resonated with you or like really like, because some, some people may meet someone like this. I don't know. I feel people would be interested in like, what is it that you actually saw that made you feel like that? There's a few things. I think one was that, I, you know, I, I was struggling with the, the amount of hours that I was having to put in. I was struggling with the, um, you know, just never being able to switch off even when I was on holiday. Um, yeah. And and, and I, I recognized that I really needed help. Um I also recognized in Brian, you know, and, and in my, my own weaknesses were that I'd been through a small recruitment business. I hadn't been through a big corporate training program. I didn't yeah. know how to scale a recruitment business or scale teams or, you know, I had any experience of um, learning and development, you know, in terms of mm. bringing staff on. Uh, and I met Brian, you know, he's, he's, he's an ex-army captain. He's an ex-international rugby player. I just thought, this guy's, you know, unbelievable he just kind of oozes excellence and he talked to me about you know his journey with michael page and how he built teams and i just thought you know he he just he had all the things that i didn't have in my you know in terms of skill set um and um yeah we 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 kind of really dovetailed actually um it was it was tricky in the early days i think we're you know brian's an alpha male um you know it it was a, a tricky first 12 months actually you know there were times when we were you know at each other's throats and we were like i know i want to do it like this and i want to do it like that but it was all for the good of the business you know i think it's the most important thing when you hire someone is just finding someone who cares as much as you do Mm. and i think we both learned to kind of um to adapt to each other's styles to um yeah i think brian realized that you know it he um you know his job was to to, to make me look good if you like um as the owner of the business you know and uh, my job was to give him you know free reign to do what he needed to do um to to be successful and um and we're great mates these days you know we, we've been working together nearly eight years he, he he did become the MD of the business i promoted him um uh the january um before covid kicked in which you probably won't thank me for um <laughs> and um and he's been instrumental in terms of you know, helping me build the business, you know, helping me scale. Um, and lots of the things that we did at the time, you know, um, have, have, have changed. So we were, we were very account management focused in those early days. You know, my 
focus on marketing and delivery for clients and top service um, meant that you know we we weren't doing as much business development. We weren't kind of um, you know expanding our 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 reach like we should be. And, and obviously that also comes with scale. So Brian helped me scale the business. You know, we put in a learning development um, program um, and um, we became more of a sales engine. Yeah, you know, yeah. All the I things that. that you need to grow. So what what I what I definitely want to just maybe get you just to unpack a bit further is maybe like the two, three core things that you think have really had an impact in taking forward role from like being like, yeah, four, five, six people in Bolton to sort of to where you guys are now. But really quickly, just because I think you were just talking about it, I think this can sometimes be a real challenge for people. And I know it sounds like it's, there's been a whole journey in it, but like, if what would your advice be for someone listening to this who um, may have someone already in their business that they see could be like really instrumental, like future MD, et cetera, or they might meet someone, like what advice would you give them to be better at letting go of controlling things? <laughs> it's a really good question it's a it's a, a really tough one i think for me it was fairly easy with brian because he you know he made it really clear that he was only going to come into the business um initially as a sales director but you know then to ops director and then md you know if i gave him um a, a free reign you know not a free reign but you know oh, but yeah you gave, him the, space. You gave to, him the space to, to, yeah yeah, yeah. And you and you've got to do that um if you believe you've got the right person in front of you um, practically speaking, that is that is that is difficult, you know, um, and, and and it takes time to to let go of some of these decisions, you know, and um, it probably, you know, as I say, it probably did take about twelve months for us to to, to why, get. To why did you right? Why did you find it difficult? Like, just because I think what I found for context when I've spoken to people that have gone on that journey, I feel like sometimes they can feel like it's sort of. The more and more they let go of the more and more they're like losing their meaning in the business or like the sort of their purpose in the business sort of thing did you experience yeah, any of that yeah yes and no i think i think a lot of the business uh, recruitment business owners that i speak to um their sense of their identity yeah. a lot of it comes from their business exactly um i think i'm less like that you know um you know <laughs> i think um what was important to me was kind of like the integrity of the brand, you yeah. know, um, because my name was above the door. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we, we did things in the right way, you know, that we, um, represented the brand, you know, cause a service brands about every single little touch point that you get for the business from the way someone yeah, picks yeah. up the phone to what see on the website. So, you know, I think it was just an obsession around, that really that caused you know most most sense. of the the issues um not issues you know you know i think um i'm a big believer in that in a business you know you have no politics if you disagree on something you know you fight it out you you have a debate and then you agree and you just back the decision that you make and that's what we learned to do much better after the first 12 months nice so let, let's unpack maybe if we, if we could put i'm sure there's loads of things but if we could sort of whittle this down into like maybe three practical things that maybe you and Brian really invested time in or maybe Brian was instrumental in sort of um, making happen. But as I said, for context, a lot of people want to go from where you was to like where you are now. Mm. Clearly, obviously, Brian's been instrumental in that. 
Um, and like, I don't know what are maybe the, the three main things that you think have like really had an impact on you growing and scaling. Obviously you mentioned L and D, but I'll let you decide what would you say? Like the three main yeah. things over the that eight, nine year period now he's been involved that you think's had a big impact on growth. So the first one was, was niching down, you know, okay. um, you know, in the early days because of size, you, you, you basically just have to do a bit of everything. You know, yeah. so digital recruitment, you know, an SEO job comes in, a PPC job comes in, a content job comes in, whatever. Yeah. You know, you're on it, you're recruiting it. But as you as you as you get bigger, I think um, you know, it was Brian who said to me, Look, we need to start hiring people and we need to start niching down, you know, and what he called inch wide, mile deep, you know. So you're yeah. inch wide in terms of your specialism and a mile deep in terms of your network. So we started to hire a PPC specialist and then an mm. SEO specialist. And I think that's been the biggest thing that's allowed us to to, to scale um uh the way that we have so that was the first one just, just on that sorry to butt in like i'm just i just okay. really want to because some i think you hear niche chucked around a lot now don't you so i feel mm. like you've explained that really fine but i just want to maybe if you could because I, I just want to get really clear like your perspective on like what like being what is niche enough if you get what i mean or like if we say maybe what before what you may have thought you was niche but you definitely wasn't niche enough and then now you definitely are niche enough if you get what I mean. Cause I feel like it's just sometimes people may interpret niche in different ways. So like, yeah, what was your before and then what was. You can't be so niche that, you know, that there's like five candidates in your area yeah, yeah. to recruit, you know, so you've got to kind of do your research and make sure that there is a viable market. There's a yeah. decent number of candidates, there's enough, you know, uh, businesses with that tech stack or with that, you know, that need yeah. that specialism. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's a mixture of, of that but not being so broad that you just accept anything so that you're spending all your time in the same network you know and you're not wasting time keep dipping in and out of different locations different networks um because you know if you're doing that then you you, you don't get that kind of synergy that you get from constantly working in the yeah, same so, space so you went from basically being so you did digital marketing roles that was your niche but within that you could have done as you said seo PPC jobs, account managers, account directors, etc. And then you've gone, hang on a minute, maybe we could go a step further and we'll do digital market. We'll do this, obviously digital marketing still, but we'll have someone dedicated to just PPC. Da, da, da. That's, that's how you break it down even further. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, over the last few years, you know, the guys, you know, Brian will come to me and say, well, we, we've identified there's probably room for, uh, product, you know, digital product desk. I'm like, wow, is that, you know, is that a thing? Like, yeah, 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 go for it. You know, like, so, you know, it's constantly just kind of seeing that the way that the market evolves and, um, yeah. you know, and, and spotting opportunities. Nice. So niche and down was the first one. Love that. Yeah. What was the second one, would you say? Um, the second one was that, you know, I think I've already mentioned that Brian was, Brian was better at, you know, um, management. You know, he's a management nerd. When, when, when he joined, he had all these subscriptions to like management, like websites and stuff. <laughs> You don't be a captain in the army without being, you know, really, really knowing your stuff in the management space, do you? And you know, yeah. leadership space. So, what he was brought to the business, which is a really simple thing, but I was really bad at, was you know, just kind of setting in, reviewing, um, giving mm. people like a career path, um, you know, just putting some structure into um, into people's careers. And I think it's a really simple thing that still a lot of businesses don't do. It's like going right, okay, if you join us, this is where you can be in twelve months. This is where you can be in two years, three years, yeah. four, five years. Um, and um, it's really powerful that, you know, showing people 
if they hit certain targets, certain milestones, what they can be earning and what level they can be. Yeah. And, and that's been amazingly powerful in our business. Nice. Third thing? I've been thinking about the third thing since we, <laughs> when we talked about the first two. I'm thinking, Damn, what is it now? I think I think Brian just helped me um, kind of take the culture cultural part onto onto the next level. You know, I okay. um, I think we <clears throat> he recognises just the importance of of culture. And, you know, and L and D and career development is a big part of that. But yeah. actually, no bullshit, no dickheads. And, yeah. You know, having fun is a really really important part of our business. And um, me and Brian have always been totally aligned about that. Um, because that's how you keep staff, you know, that's yeah, yeah. how you enjoy work every day. That's how you get, um, new people into the business. Cause they can feel that, you know, when they come into an office, they, they, they can feel that they can see that through your glass door yeah, and yeah. account. They can see that through the, the stuff that you put on social. They can feel yeah. that when they come into your office. And I think that's been re- my wife in the background there. Oh. Um, <laughs> and they can feel that, um, you know what I think when they come into a forward row office, they 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 we're really successful when we when we're um when, when we've got a recruitment consultant in front of us who we really want and they might be speaking to you know a couple of our competitors, I'd say 90% of the time they, they join us. Uh, I think it's because of that culture and because of the passion that Brian has when he meets people and where and, and talks to them about where he can take them. Yeah. Um, and and the passion that I have, you know, still for for, for that. And I think that yeah. stands us in really good stead. So a couple of things I just want to talk about on this journey, then keen to unpack like sort of where you're heading now and sort of the interesting things you have going on. Cause I know um you're on a sort of seems like you've then you're now obviously going on another journey now where yeah, there's a really great opportunity for people to own part of the business and these types of things. So I'm keen to speak to that um, about you, but just two two things on this. So one, as part of that journey, have there been um, any sort of, I guess, important investments in like tech, like things that have really helped you in with the business? Like, is there been, because agency owners always mess me on this as well. Like what, what tools have really helped them grow the recruitment business, what things have made them more efficient, but any tech or tools that have really helped along the way as well, that have been a great investment. Um, I think we've invested a lot in digital, actually, um, a lot more than, than, than most recruitment businesses. I, um, I'm i a director and a shareholder of, um, of a digital marketing agency, Bring. So okay. we've, put a lot, we've put a lot of investment over the years um, into digital marketing, into our SEO, um, I think that's been um, really paid off for us in terms of the amount of work that we get inbound through, you know, nice. through the website. Um, we we were the first large um, uh, or medium-sized customer of um, Vincherry nice. um, kind of a couple of years ago um, and uh, did a lot of work with them on their product roadmap for the UK. Um, got a really lovely partnership with with them as a business. We chose it because it's a, an incredibly intuitive tool. Um, it's incredibly powerful, uh, and that's really weaponized our um, our staff. I think um, so. Yeah, v- Vincherry is. Um, I think it's definitely helped with our with our growth. Being crucial, um, yeah, yeah, love that. And then the other thing, I know you mentioned culture, but obviously we spent a bit of time talking about growth 
growing more headcount, but I think sometimes don't spend enough time talking about keeping your best people. And I know you were talking about it there, like your culture is a big part of that, but anything else to, I guess, share that you sort of learned along the way that you think has had a real impact on actually keeping your best people, you know, um, anything that you think has really impacted that bar the culture that you've really doubled down on and making sure it's an environment that people want to be part of, but anything else you think that's impacted keeping your best people? Yeah. So I think there's certain hygiene factors is the first thing. I think we, we always said, I don't, we don't want to be losing staff um, because uh, they can get a better bonus scheme somewhere else. We've mm. always been really keen to make sure that we've had a bonus scheme and, and a kind of remuneration package, which is right up there. Um, you know, particularly for guys who've been in the business for a few years, these guys are highly skilled. You know that that the the amount of effort that they put into building their network and building their knowledge is, you know, um, equipment's a really cool career. You know, like an, a really noble career, I think, actually. You know, in, in mm. many respects, and and uh, and we try and kind of uh, recognise that by progressing people and paying them what they're worth. Um, so I think that's you know, that's kind of the basic hygiene factors. The um, the other big things are just treating people like they'd like to be treated. You know, there's other <laughs> there's other competitors in our space who perhaps haven't grown as as, as quickly as we have, or in some cases have shrank. Where you can just see why, because by looking at the owners, you know, it's kind of like have to be the smartest person in the room. You know, yeah. like um, uh, not particularly nice environments. You know, like no trust. People, you know, mir- you know people uh, getting sacked because they've. Uh, you know, something the, the screens are being mirrored and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we've just had a really flexible, grown up, um, yeah. trusting the environment at forward roll, even pre pandemic. So, we, we were we were all set when COVID came along, in terms of it wasn't a massive change for us to just kind of uh, make it all uh, really flexible. And um, yeah, I think those are the biggest things. Yeah, and I know it sounds like basic, but it's 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 just a change of mindset, isn't it? It's just instead of thinking about how, what, what can we structure the commission in a way so then in case they aren't successful, we don't lose that much money. It's instead of having that sort of mindset, it's just like, how can we give them a platform and give them all the resources they need, pay them what they're worth and like all that, like just having that mindset, like rather than being, I guess, a bit more of a scarcity mindset and like always trying to protect yourself in case things don't work. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think I, I think it comes. You know, I'd worked in marketing environments before I set up in recruitment. So, you know, marketing departments are always loads of fun. You know, they're, they're yeah, creative. Yeah. They're you know, lovely offices, and I just you know, you know, we've invested a lot in in our office as well. You know, we've got a bar in there, pool table. I mean, everyone's got pool tables, ping pong tables these days, don't they? But you know, our office when you walk into it, just go right. This is a yeah, like, this is a proper there. company. They've spent yeah. good money on making it a really comfortable place. Little policies like we we don't allow people to eat their lunch at their desks. We've got a big breakout area where. Everyone as a team goes and eats lunch together, and yeah. um, and it's just little things like that that just make you know a, a much happier environment. Yeah. So Brian's, Brian's been really good actually in terms of um, over the, the pandemic. I mean, I think half of his job has been around well-being, mental health, checking in on yeah. the guys, making sure they're okay, um, and um, you know going for walks with people uh, in lockdown and, and and all that kind of stuff. You know, so. Um, I think we really look out for people and really care about them in terms of not just their, you know, their development at forward role, but even things like goal setting for themselves personally, out in and in and outside of work. So yeah, um, yeah, we, we we do things right on that side for sure. Yeah. So 
For, for the last bit of this, then I just want to talk about this sort of journey that you're on now, because I know a lot of business owners definitely aspire um, to sort of go where you're you're hoping to go. So there's a couple of things that I just want to unpack because I notice on your website. So I get a lot of questions around. I'd love you to get advice or speak to um, business owners on this podcast around their journey with uh, non-exec directors. So definitely want to speak to you a bit about that and what's been your journey with that. Has it been helpful? Has it been difficult? What to look out for, what to avoid? But then also um, just talk a bit about, could you just frame it up just for context, if you don't mind? Like, I guess, don't have to give us all the details, but like the like your next big goal now, right? Because it's like more about, obviously, uh, Brian really then sort of being the majority shareholder or forward role. There's now an opportunity for people in your business to get obviously shares in the company. You're now driving towards like a, a business event. So then you can obviously get what you need out of this journey to then be less involved. That's all right. Yeah. So, so could you just maybe just frame it up a bit more? I don't want to like say the wrong thing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Should I start with that? Should I start with yeah, that? And then come on to, um, to the bit. Yeah. Cause I the, think what I'm, what I'm keen to do is just unpack, like, I guess, how you're basically people want to know like, okay, that may be something that I want, but I have no idea even how to start to like get on that journey there. Do you get what I mean? And like what important things do I need to be looking at in these things? But did, did part of, did part of this start because you then engage with NEDs because you knew that's something that you wanted, but didn't, haven't done that before. No, the NED thing came from, um, from seeing, uh, that Peter Gerard talk that I talked about. Oh really? In fact, Peter, okay. Peter came and did a couple of sessions with us off the back of that. And I think it made me realize that um, there are much uh, more experienced and probably smarter people than me who've been through this journey. So why not <laughs> Why not use them? And I, but I think the thing is with non-execs, I think sometimes they have a bit of a, um, you know, sell-by date on them. I think, you know, some people you come in and, and uh, you, you start to hear the same things, you know, after yeah. 12 months, a couple of years, and you think, oh, okay, it's just time to freshen them up. But you can because it's that, you know, that's, that's – yeah. You know, a, a kind of a, a non-exec director consultant kind of like um, a world, isn't it? You know, so I think it's nice actually to be able to just dip in. You know, it depends. It's my doorbell. But anything <laughs> go wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, yeah. So, yeah, the kids love that doorbell. It wasn't my choice. <laughs> love that. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we've had different non-execs for different stages of the business that we've we've, we've been through over the years and um we've got a great non-exec director at the moment called Alison Humphreys um what I love about her is that she's um she's not one of these people who just wants to turn up and sit in a board meeting and just talk you know big strategy big strategy and um mm. she, you know she's she's very into the detail she you know we, we use her for training we use her for kind of compliance and legal stuff you know she's she's a really de detail orientated kind of nice. smart lady um and so she's been great for the business we've got a um, a non-exec finance director actually which is a which oh, wow. is a, a, a real big one um so and without going into too much detail kind of like three four years ago we we had a kind of almost catastrophic event in our business um where we found um a, a significant hole in our finances oh, wow. the, the fact that the information we were being given by our finance person at the time did was not um did not equate to what was actually going on so as uh, one piece of advice i would i would get for people as they start to get bigger and you know and i went through a journey where i started off doing my own accounts you know <laughs> ripped off a version of sage sorry sage they're actually a client um <laughs> and um you know then kind of had a, an accountant coming in to do a bit of work with me one day a week and then it got to a stage where i, I need a full-time 
yeah, yeah. finance manager, finance controller. We've got that in the business. Um, but we've got that appointment wrong really badly. Yeah. Um, and um, I would say you always need someone in that department. You you need a, an accountant or a um, or someone um, who can check the homework of the uh, finance person that you are um, that, that that you're employing. You, you you need two opinions, and, and as a minimum, that person needs to have SEMA, and they need to have you know, decent level experience. Yeah. Um, and um, we've now got a guy called Phil Carlin as our non-exec finance director. He comes into the business one day a week. He um, kind of mentors and marks the homework of our management accountant. And um, we've just got, you know, um, we've just got great um, management accounts these days that we run the business with. In fact, over through, through COVID, um, we we moved to a a model where every week we had a. It was, in the beginning, it was almost like a war room kind of session yeah. every Friday for a couple of hours, going through finance, checking cash flow. Um, but actually, that's one of the, the things that's grown out of COVID. Is we 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 we're going to keep that. You know, every every week have a have a an hour, an hour and a half, just going through the business's finances, looking at P&L, looking at cash, looking at you know, debtors, blah, 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 just making sure that we're, you know, and, and looking at our investment plans, making sure that we're we're on track. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a, a big tip, you know. Um, yeah. If you've not, if you're, if you're not sure that you're sure, if, you, if that makes sense, that your finances yeah, yeah, yeah. tip top, then um, definitely have a, have a, have a, have a look at a, a, really a non-exec good. finance director. I think what sort of, makes that logical in my head is like you've got you've got someone who's employed by you who's obviously they are thinking of like they need to be doing a good job they're worried about their job like they want to protect their job right so that may sometimes lead to not the best decisions being made or like they may not i don't know not always maybe in like a i don't know what the word is in like a negative way to hide stuff but like they're trying to they're obviously trying to protect themselves right so obviously the advantage of that is that you've got someone that's completely outside the business they're not like employed by forward role your business but like they're just there to be like is this is this is this going right da, da, da. so that sort of makes sense to be fair because you, take that, then, yeah, you exactly. take that out of the yeah. thing then don't you it's like the, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 um, um so 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 that's that you know that's i guess my view on non-execs um just, and just on that friends. though how how did you how did you go about like find like finding at non-execs was it did you just lean on your network did you go reach out to people like that seems to be sometimes like some people like know they want to help they want to speak to someone that's been on the same path but like they don't really know how to look or find these people well i'm a, a member of the rdlc you know the pirates yeah. you know the recruitment network so that's again that's one of the best you know that's almost like a third non-exec for me the whatsapp groups in there you know the time that gary and dean um you yeah. know content that they create on the, on the lunches um, but it's given me a, a network of like-minded people, some of them with much bigger businesses than mine, some of them with smaller, more agile businesses, you know, where you can just um you know, just pick up the phone and 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 ask ask that type of question. You can ask any kind of question, but you know, has anyone used a good non-exec is you know, was, was one of the questions I was asking a couple of years ago. And it was a guy called Wayne Brophy at Cast said, you know, I'd, I'd use a lady called Alison Humphreys and I thought she was excellent. So we met yeah, her fair and enough. she thought, yeah, she's She's great. You know, she's she's exactly what we need. She's been brilliant yeah. for us. Yeah, fair enough. And then, yeah, just let's let's talk about. Sorry to butt in, <laughs> but All I right. guess so. Obviously, the the journey that you're on now. Then, I guess just if you could just frame it up a bit, and I'll definitely have like one or two questions on like how you started on that journey, and then maybe like the the sort of high level things you're really focusing on now that um, you've learned. You know, 
like what could give you the best possible chance of actually achieving what you're setting out to um yeah would be great okay so i'm getting to a stage of my life and career i guess where i'm starting to think what what next you know yeah. um, i've got a lot more gray hair than i had when i started in recruitment kind of 18 years ago um and um i've got two young children and um a friend of mine said to me look you know they're only kind of that age for so long um and uh it won't be long before they you know they're teenagers and they they don't want, you're not the center of their world anymore they've got their own mates <laughs> yeah. so you know it kind of really struck a chord with me and i was like well, actually you know i'm i want to get to a place in the not too distant future before they're that age where i can start to um take a bit of a step back from the business and be less involved in a day-to-day basis um and perhaps take some money off the table you know de-risk myself a little bit um, and um, maybe can even get to a place where, you know, I, I'm a non-exec director myself, you know, whether I'm, mm. you know, kind of a, a portfolio of businesses that I work with. So currently sit on the board of, of Bring Digital, as I've mentioned, there's, a, there's another um, another agency that I work with called Muddy Wellies, which is a brand and culture agency. Got another, you know, uh, I started a, a business in the, uh, in the green sustainability space called Greenify yeah. um, this year, which has actually just launched a product into, into the recruitment market. And, um, you know, I kind of, I feel like you've got to a place in the business now, Brian's MD, where Brian actually runs the business day to day, you know, and mm. um, I don't really think it's fair for me to stay around forever, just expecting Brian to do that, you know, um, uh, without him having uh, more of an interest in it. So I think at some point, um, we you know, we've got a fairly, fairly rough plan in, in the medium term where Brian will... Um, become the owner of the business and i will probably stay on as a minority shareholder and um uh chairman or whatever and sit on the board yeah, yeah. probably annoy him for, for for a few more years um <laughs> and uh and, and i think that's the kind of really it's really exciting for me personally it's really exciting for brian it's really exciting for his management team and the rest of the board um and it, it's given us an opportunity to um to put an emi scheme together for for all the staff in the business so that everyone you know, can benefit from from that event when it happens, which is something that was really important to me. I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, be that guy in a few years' time where I just went, yeah, I've just sold the bit business for however much and not rich, but well, thanks very much, everyone. See you later. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. and there's a lot. I appreciate there's a lot of people in our business who, you know, worked just as hard, you know, and um, and deserve um, a piece of that. Yeah. So, so a couple, couple of things here. One, like, just I guess I just want to sort of. Um, applaud you having the humility to be like you know what actually maybe I'm not needed as much or like and I think what what a great obviously what a great moment that's going to be where like started this obviously come full circle where started this obviously in bedroom in in Bolton to then building a business that then is hopefully even going to sort of go on beyond like well, yeah, however old you get in these things, right? This an actual yeah. business that could support so many more people, support their livelihood and everything, right? I think that's that's um, amazing. So I guess a couple of things, because I know the reason why I just want to ask a bit more about this is because I would say, and I'm sure you have these conversations, like I would say maybe um, sometimes there can be assumption that like, oh, I'm going to, um, maybe it was more common beforehand, but a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to start my recruitment business, build it up and then sell it, right? But how often does that actually happen? So just a couple yeah. of things around this and that journey so that you may be learning or have learned so far. So one EMI scheme, what out of interest, if you can share details, like, I don't know, what, how, do, what are the fundamentals of that or the mechanics of that out of interest? So obviously that would typically mean an employee in your business 
would um, get some sort of payout if the event happens, right? And then have you structured in a way where like the more they've been there or do they have an option to buy more? I don't know, just some mechanics on that, which I think could be useful for people. Yeah, so um, EMI stands for Enterprise Management uh, uh, Incentive or Initiative, I think. I, can't, I should know what that acronym means. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's a really common way of basically being able to um, incentivize um, staff um it's really tax efficient you know is the most you know uh important thing i, I think for from a finance perspective um in that you agree a value um now you know um when when you put the emi scheme together um and the employees are only taxed on that value when the event happens rather than the value of the right. business and the value yeah. of their options then but it's a, it's an option you know um, a, a agreement it's not a um, you know, they don't own actual shares in the business. So yeah. they will only own a share for um, 10 minutes, you know, um, when the event happens, um, event happens. Until, they, and, until they sell it and they realize that money that they have. So it's, um, it's a nice way to be able to give people skin in the game um, without uh, the administrative difficulties associated like with giving them shares if they, if, it, like if they were to leave yeah, or... Yeah. Um, or you know, having to kind of um, you know, put people on the board and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really, it's a really nice mechanic, actually. Um, and you know, I would say that we, we, you know, we've won um, staff because of it. You know, people yeah. really buy into that being part of something. I've seen a few people do employee uh, employee ownership trust recently, which I think is another great initiative in that space where you know you can really make your staff feel. Um, part of the, the the ownership of the of the business, um, and I think it's just more effective than a, a profit share, for example, um, yeah, yeah. and makes people feel really kind of part of of your business and bought into it. Sure. And then the other thing that I'm just curious, and again, if I'm sort of trying to get you to talk about stuff that you're not allowed, just say, but just mm. just curious. So like, are you, are you, and you may be still working this out, but like, obviously the journey that you're going on now and the metrics and goals that you need to hit, are you like aiming for this event to be like a management buyout situation? Is it something that you're looking to get actual external investment? Have you thought about that? What's the strategy there? Yeah, no, I think we're good. I think we're looking, the most likely route is going to be an MBO. Um, okay. We've got a clear target um, that we've set. Um, the business is all bought into that. You know, um, from the board down to the management team, through to the consultants, we're all on this journey together, nice. and um, and that's what we're gunning for. So um, yeah, no, it feels good. No, I think that's great to have that in a business where everyone's kind of aligned and aiming for aiming for. Yeah, something. that's 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 awesome. And I think again, so I guess just on that because I know I spoke to a lot of people that have thought about that being an option. Would love to do that, but and then they're like, how would that even happen? But like, I guess. So, like, what are like maybe just the high level, like core metrics that like the business needs to hit, or what people are gunning for in order for that to even be an option? Because isn't isn't like a potential? And correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, is a potential challenge in, in that like, what if the people within the organisation don't actually have enough money to like actually buy you out? You know, I don't know. Is that? Yeah, I mean, um, and and an MBO, you know, what most. Most often, would happen is that the the, uh, the the people who are buying it, the management team or the person who is buying it, um, will go and get finance, you know, right, okay, and they'll yeah. borrow against the future profits of, of the business. 
Yeah, so probably borrow some to 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 give the the exiting founder you know a chunk up front and um, and and probably pay the the rest over time out of uh, future profits. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're basically you know buying the business off someone using the business's profits. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which is a really nice nice way to do it. And um, I guess it's probably um, the most likely way for most business owners to be able to yeah, to yeah. Exit, I think it'd be more, more common, business. wouldn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was trying to yeah. dig into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what have been? No, I was no. It was just it was fine. It was just the um, I guess people would be interested in like how have you again? It can be high level, but like what are like the important? So everyone's gunning for the same thing. There's an MBO opportunity. Everyone's excited by that. Then, what are like the key metrics that are really important yeah, for metrics. that to even be an opportunity? Yeah. Is it just NFI? Is it I don't know. What are the key things that would then yeah make it in a because people want to know like what does my business need to sort of look like for me to, for that to even to potentially be an option or for us to actually achieve an event? You know, I guess you've got to take advice on that from you know corporate finance people. You know, yeah. um, and it all depends on what you want to take away you know yeah, so fair. um uh you know we made a strategic decision um a few years back which was an amazing decision for the business to to um to launch a contract division because that recurring revenue attracts a better multiple yeah um, we didn't know we were going to go through a pandemic where pretty much that revenue propped up the whole business for two or three months you know and mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of uh so it's you know it helps you kind of de-risk the business having that recurring revenue and it helps de-risk it for um, investors too so you get a better better multiple um so we're strategically trying to increase our um, percentage of nfi that is um contract contracts yeah um whilst growing the whilst growing the business you know growing both per man contracts at the same time um and then you know it all comes down to your ebit yeah. and the multiplier that you get you know, so I'd like to think we'll get a, a decent multiplier because um, we're in a sexy space. You know, uh, with post-COVID, digital, digital transformation, technology is absolutely kind of the yeah, yeah. most sexy place you could possibly be. Um, you know, we've got a nice, strong, you know, a strong brand. You know, we're kind of market leaders in our, um, in our space um, in the north. Um, we're not far off being the biggest in the UK um and um you know we've i guess we can evidence that people have tried to enter our core markets over the last uh, uh five ten years and, and failed so we've got a pretty strong um, position in, in the market uh and you know we're in a good place financially um you know and hope to be an even better place financially by the time we get to do an mbo so i think those are all the, the key factors but ultimately it comes down to what someone's prepared to pay for it you know like um I saw um, saw a friend of mine's business went through uh, uh, a buyout recently, um, and they got seven times multiple. Wow. Um, you know, I don't know what the drivers to to that were, but it sounds like an, a really amazing deal. Um, I think you know more typically um, kind of three four times is probably the norm um, yeah. for a lot of businesses. But you know, that's that's part of my job over the next few years is to kind of monitor that and kind of you know get to yeah, grips with what that. are going to be the the key ways to kind of drive that value creation. Um, and ultimately, uh, probably come down to me and Brian shaking hands on a deal that we think is fair. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And I guess what I just want to highlight, which I think is important, just sort of final thing on this before we finish, is like, and then on all those things that you mentioned, 
like how has that also like really made you realize actually Steve's taking a step back, making sure Brian is the the person that's like, yeah, running the business and stuff. That's obviously made it even more valuable, hasn't it? And I think that's just like also a key thing there, isn't it? Because there's no way that you're going to get those sorts of multiples if like Steve's still like the person. Because that's the thing I think sometimes, isn't it? Where it's like, if I was to buy this recruitment business or like what would happen to it, then it's like, if Steve leaves, like what happens? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a big part of my my goals for the next um, for the, you know for the next few years, which is to to start to hand over some of my relationships to yeah. um, you know I was the top builder in the I think last year was the first year that I wasn't the top builder in the in the business, which felt like Ooh, a bit. How would you take that, mate? Oh, I'm I'm, re- I'm still really competitive, so it really stunk. <laughs> um, but it's actually one of the contract guys who beat me, and um, you know, so he already had the runners to do a massive number this year. Again, yeah. I was just like that. Ah, I give up. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. And that was good, you know, because it was good for me, I think, because again, it's a moment, you know, um, moment, yeah. business where I felt like, okay, you know, I can relax a little bit now. And I've made um, much more of an effort this year to kind of um, pass down some of the stuff that's on the bottom level yeah, of yeah. The, the bottom band of the executive stuff that I recruit um, and start to, you know, it's good for the guys as well, the, the, the manager, the directors to start to kind of pick up more of my relationships and, and on them. And, they, and they've been doing that naturally over time anyway. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Nice. Love that. Well, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, yeah, like obviously see the, the journey unravel from afar and, uh, just wanted to say like, just thanks a lot for being super honest on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And as I said, like really commend like where obviously it's easy to forget sometimes where you was, like where things are now. I know a lot of people building a business and you're competitive, like typically that means you're not always content. There's always more you could be doing, but like in a great position to like leave a business with people that could have a real impact on so many people's lives. Right. So I think that's something super to be proud of. Yeah, no, thank you. I really, I really enjoyed it. First podcast I've ever done actually. So <laughs> I'll probably find like a quieter space where my, uh, my wife doesn't walk in or the doorbell <laughs> doesn't go or my phone doesn't fall over um, in the future. So sorry for all the interruptions. You've got some editing to do, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited for what the future holds. And um, I've got this, uh, this business greenify that we mentioned at the beginning mm. of the show, which, um, which is going to be um, something that I think is is mega exciting for me in the recruitment industry too um, to 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 work on. We just launched that actually, and um, um, you know maybe it's a, a separate podcast in itself to talk to you about that. But just basically, you know, gives um, gives recruitment businesses the opportunity to greenify or offset um, a, a hire, so they can take you know they can sell that to a client and say, okay, Mister HR Director, you're about to hire a um, a marketing manager would you like us to greenify them for you for a for a small cost and then that allows them to offset the environmental impact of that hire for the next 12 months yeah, that's um, awesome. and um you know, that's that's working really well for us at the moment with it and it's a world first we're the only business out there at the moment selling that product and um you know we're talking to hr people and telling people about something that they've never been spoken to about right and so for, i think yeah. for, for everyone personally you know that it, there's some really kind of scary stuff, isn't there? The David Attenborough extinction oh, God, um, yeah. uh, documentary that's out there, and, um, uh, and and loads of stuff on Netflix at the moment, like um, that that is super super scary about you know li- really the existence of us as a human race on this on this yeah, planet, like, and like your children, like, right? So, and the world that they're going to grow up in. Yeah, yeah, and um, 
you know, that was actually the reason that, you know, for, for, for setting the business up. Neil, my co-founder, you know, he's got a real fear for, for, for the world that his, his, his children are going to grow up in. So um, it's nice to be speaking to HR people and talent people who kind of haven't previously been able to contribute to their businesses ESG goals about a product that can, you know, really help them um, recruit more sustainably. So, um, mm. awesome. Yeah. Love it. Really Greenify. exciting. Really exciting things ahead. Greenify. There we go. Well, um, Steve, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you, mate. Really enjoyed it. All the- done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.